Hello, Magic Quest Babies! Which, by the way, is an adorable epithet for fans of our podcast. So cool that you all decided that on your own. Anyway, DM Jamie here to tell you that this is part two of our two-part finale of book one, The Prologue. So if you haven't heard part one yet, you might want to go hear that one first, or else you're going to have some questions. Okay? Right on. If you have heard part one, well, here's part two. Enjoy! I was shown visions of the past and the future. And in these visions, it was revealed to me the truth of the keys of Eon. And he looks up towards the stars and he, with his hand, like, just like kind of rotates it. And his fingers pressed up towards the sky and begins to twist. And as he twists it, the stars there, there, there are like other little stars um, that aren't like the stars in the sky. Other stars start to be like plucked from the sky and like form into illusory images up above all of you. Mm. And as he talks, um, they move to fit, uh, to form images of what he is describing. I saw that long, long ago, when Selene and Lamoon locked all the Titans away, they demanded a condition of the Titan Eon be met in exchange for his exemption and freedom. This, you know, Xoline demanded that Eon craft the time-locked Tartaron cells by which his titanic brethren would be forever imprisoned. But what is lesser known, mostly lost to the ages and the few gods who remember, is that Lemund, he looks over to you, Galvin, also had a condition that he demanded. <laughs> and while Soline's might sound insulting, it was Lemoon's condition that was somehow crueler. He bade that since Eon was so hopelessly entwined with his internal burden, the time spindle, the colossal monolith on which all time flowed, that he should make that connection more formal, more literal. He demanded that Eon remove his heart and lock it forever within the time spindle, thereby ensuring the Titan would never be separated from his eternal duty. Eon had no choice. He obeyed, impossibly somehow purchasing his freedom with his freedom. So Eon hollowed out a space in the time spindle to craft yet another vault outside of time, much like the Tartaran that held his kin. But the door to this cell lay here on the material plane, beyond which door resides a hidden pocket dimension where Eon stored his own heart, an artifact of infinitely indescribable power, referred to now as the Timeless Heart. The Timeless Heart is believed to contain but a small fraction of Eon's power, yet is still so powerful that were it to be claimed by a mortal, they could become a god more powerful than any in the current pantheon, including Selene and Lamund, and any god who claimed it, well, they would wield the power of a titan. So Eon locked away his heart, what Solene and the Moon did not know 
was that Eon crafted a key to this vault, this cavity, should he ever need to access it again. A key that he shattered into four pieces and then scattered across the material plane. Now this would have been a foolish act if not for the fact that if ever one wanted to open the vault, one would not only need all four keys, but also his power over time in order to use them. It is said that he only told one guard of the existence of these keys, his most trusted confidant, it is said. But, as they say, guards are shit at keeping secrets. Sure enough, somehow the information got out and made its rounds. It was maybe even in the aftermath of this leak when Eon decided to seek out his brother Nod in the blackness of space. Or maybe not. Maybe that's just what happens when you go for too long without a heart. These are the keys we speak of. These keys of Eon. If all four of them are to be collected, if they were to be collected and wheeled by a horror Logan, they could be used to open the door to Eon's cavity where the timeless heart supposedly still beats. But it is also said, if the timeless heart were to be claimed by Ahura Logan, they could instead turn their power against it, and in so doing, permanently destroy the heart along with all the rest of Eon's memories that he might have locked away. It became clear to me that Siphon, the god of sea and chaos, he has an oracle too in Orion. Among other agents that he is using to alert powerful dark forces on Voros to the existence of these keys of Eon. What holy treasure they might unlock and Pen's relationship to them. We must not let Siphon succeed. We must protect the child. And he kind of, with a flourish of his hands, swirls the stars into non-existence. Hmm. So we must find these keys, then? Yes. Is this one? And hold up. Ye old key trinket that I have? I don't think so. Okay. I put it back. <laughs> but then again... I put, take it back out. Probably not. And then I put it back. <laughs> now, I have a question to ask all of you. While you all may have the support of the Spire, you all were unfairly and unjustly dragged into this. You didn't ask for this to be thrust into your lives. None of you did. Pen is still unconscious. And if you continue with her on this perilous journey, your fate will be forever entwined with her doomed purpose. You're going to feel like you are consistently outmatched, like you have no hope of winning. After all, you are purposefully entangling yourselves in destiny's fickle threads and potentially even a war among the gods. The, the gods will likely want to steal Pen away from you, Try and use her to gain access to the hold themselves. So, you must decide if you are to 
continue on this journey or to part ways. It would be best for the girl if you decide before she wakes up, I think, to not have her grow any more attached to all of you. I know she already is quite fond of you. And you see a little te more tears start to well in his eyes again. Well, you lost me around the key talk, but I will say <laughs> that Rodane blessed me with power, and I always knew I was destined for something great, and I know now that this is what it is. I will give everything to bring justice to people that want to hurt Ben. He smiles and nods. I may have some tricks up my sleeve to help protect her as well. So, yes, of course. I'm not going to leave the girl behind to fend for herself. Oh, but, huh? Uh, yeah, what they said. <laughs> Got a lot of questions still, but I'm sure we can resolve them in time. I'm sure that's what we're here for, and the rest is why folk, of course. Well, if you are willing to continue forward, even knowing that this story could possibly not have a happy ending for all of you and possibly not the world, then, and his mood kind of immediately brightens, then I think we are ready to conquer the fates and definitely not destiny. Not destiny at all. He kind of looks up to the sky. <laughs> no, no, we're going to be right on track. <laughs> and he gives a couple of winks to all of you. Yep, 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 that's right. None of that. But that is what Destinescence is all about. Harnishing your potential to alter your fates and do good. Yes. Mm, yes. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. If I might make a suggestion, maybe when all of this is over and you all leave the spire, you could... Go to the holiest sites of your gods and beseech them for a divine quest. Some sort of ordeal from them for you personally. I mean, this may be all they ask of you, but now that you are fully-fledged heroes, a divine ordeal is not out of the question for any of you. It's a great idea. I also need to get to a messenger bird and send it to Justice Turin. Tell her what's oh, up. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, uh, down in the aviary. Um, Lenore should be able to help you with that. I, I know you all have answered yes already, but uh, do take the night to think on it anyway. Even if you feel you already know the answer, uh, just take the night, and if you, your decision changes in the morning, know that none, none here will fault you for it. Can I look through the telescope now? Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Just Boy, go ahead. The whole time. Yeah, he's, he's just, just been like that? The no, that's <laughs> why I'm like, huh, what? What's going on? I'm just staring at it. Yes. Uh, excellent. Yeah, you are, uh, the Oracle will kind of just um, sit cross-legged. Um, there are a number of actually like uh, medication cushion type things uh, that you all can use as pillows if you want to just lay and look at the stars. Uh, the Oracle is actually going to do just that um, with his hands kind of uh, behind his head. As he just sits and looks at the stars, uh, as Rondri does. What are the rest of you doing? Um, as Rondri looks at the stars, I'm going to take out that mask mm -hmm. and just try to figure out what its deal is. Yeah, <laughs> still you don't sure know. do. Yeah. Wait, which mask? I have that. From the moon? The moon, no, I have yeah. the moon mask from the fates. From the fates. You all oh. got those items. I think everyone knows what their stuff does. Except for you. Except for me. How are you testing out this mask? Well, you know, I'm just kind of flipping around, looking at it. I'm looking up at the start of the moon and yeah, this mask, uh, it on and simple white mask, a little silvery, you know, streaks yeah. through it. Yeah. Simple smiling face, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all. Nothing yeah, gonna, seems to happen I'm as you like, turn it around. I'm gonna, I want to put it on. I said put it on and take it off. If you put on the mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Just checking. <laughs> I know how masks I was like, oh, you're turning it around. Okay. <laughs> well, do you do you do the thing? <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, I've sent you an email. Um, yes. Uh, please read through that, and we'll move on to other people as you read through that, yeah. and then we'll come back to you. Cool. What are the rest of you doing? I will. I also want to look through the telescope a little bit, so I'm going to wait my turn, Fair. and then... When Rondri is finished, I will also um, ask Rondri if he believes any of these relics that we found to be more than meets the eye, magical in some way. Yeah, I'll take my lodestones and just kind of do a detect magic ritual. Yeah, so with your, uh, the holy relics that you got from the reliquary, you haven't handed them over to uh, Corvida yet. Um, her offer's still on the table. Um, you can absolutely get your lodestone out and do some identify on those puppies. Uh, they do appear to be non-magical, Rondry. But... Let's sell them. You all do have a number of other things. Um, obviously, oh the God, things you guys dude. got from the <laughs> fates, uh, the mask that Galvin is holding is magical, the cloak of yours is magical, the boots uh, that Rondry has hooked up to his wheelchair is magical, and obviously the pauldrons are magical as well. The pauldr- Sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, pauldrons that Whiskers are wearing are magical as well. Oh, I just realized I totally jumped the gun on my cloak. I mean, I thought I already knew what it did. <laughs> you do, but actually, it does more. Ooh, nice. I just sent it to you. Um, also, Rondra, you can uh, fully identify the properties of the rest of them, too. Dope. What are the rest of you doing? I mean, I just look, when it's my turn to look at the stars, I think when he was a boy, Clint, let's, I'm, I'm going um, to start calling him by his original name. Which was said? Yeah, because there's too many names now. Yeah, there's too many names. So when Sed was a boy, he spent a lot of time, like on rooftops, hiding. He lived on the streets, and uh, he spent a lot of time, like nights under the stars on rooftops, just like staring up at the sky, just wishing that he was anywhere else but here, where people hate him just for being born. And um, he does that again. He looks up at these stars and just like imagines a different world like a kinder world where he doesn't have to be like this person that he is now yeah yeah for sure yeah i'm gonna look to the stars for like inspiration take out my like astronomer's almanac and just write down jot some ideas down Mm -hmm. um, just try to make connections in my brain of what i'm gonna build next based off of what i see in the stars and then just immediately head down to that forge fantastic you have i will say this you still have like a vague idea of how to make this chair work with your boots and you and you have you like the idea of this armor but you're not sure how to integrate the armor and the chair and the boots the the final piece the final vision the stuff that that Ajir uh your elven um crush back at the cloister mm-hmm. um the stuff that she would help with the vision of it is still missing you know how it would work technically but you're just like you can't you're, you're, you look for inspiration and you still haven't quite I'm settled on a it. Piece. Yeah, there's something missing. Also, Rondri, I just sent you, you also get some pings from uh, the armor that Morrigan was wearing. And you also get a ping from uh, the hooded Plague Doctor mantle that she was wearing. Whiskers, what are you doing while this is happening? Whiskers was doing pull-ups on like one of those spinning circles. Oh, yeah. Uh, One of the parts of the orrery? Yeah, one of the orrery (laughs) parts. And then he'll get bored of that while they're looking through the telescope. So he'll make his way Mm -hmm. down to the bird, the pigeon, the coop where you send messages. Oh, yeah, the aviary. Mm -hmm. 
And he'll dictate a message to the aviary person. Right. And to Justice Turin. And he'll tell her, oh man, he'll tell her everything. Yeah. Just recount your entire... Awesome. I love it. In an abridged version. uh, But he doesn't... He tells her the important stuff because no one said, don't do that. Yeah. So he will do it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to fill a couple of parchments. Do you like get a couple? Yeah. Um, but you, you, you write them out and uh, Lenore is going to help you send the, help you send those off. Great. Uh, hey, Calvin. Yes. I, I think, I think you might actually like this. Oh. And I pull out Morgan's studded leather armor. Oh. It's this beautiful black leather armor covered in like scroll work. That's very intricate. And uh, the mantle is bearing these black feathers of the Lady of Crows. Yes. You go, uh, this is like pretty cool armor. I think it's like better than regular studded armor by a value of one. Okay, <laughs> cool. And uh, you're not going to die as much wearing it. Great. Well, I am not always in the fore when I am in combat. I... Right, but you've you've kind of got down a couple times so this might like help you from not fully going down this is true i will try it so i'll I'll find a spot and put it on but then i start like laughing a little bit (laughs) oh yeah do you have the mask on yeah okay (laughs) that's all that's all all i have for now i'm just gonna stare at you (laughs) laughing and be like what's so funny (laughs) <laughs> that's all i got for now i gotta work on it all right cool dude it's real weird <laughs> corbida comes up the steps actually Ooh, well i was just changing <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> uh, she comes up to the top and she um goes um we have a bit of an issue whoa what's going on the forge is okay right <sighs> is pen forge right? is fine Pen is fine, but... Well, then what's the issue? If the forge is okay and Pen's okay, it sounds like everything's peachy cute. The Hierophant Orion, he had been working on the keys of Eon Prophecy. In earnest, I watched him. He took several other very important, very holy scrolls of Vale in an effort to penetrate the enigmatic nature of this prophecy to determine where they would be, these these four keys. He began working on it. And he did. He, he figured out, from what I understand, from what he said, it sounded like he deduced quite a bit of information. He gleaned maybe even close to the precise locations of these keys. And? Well, they've been taken. Right. Bugger. Not by Leonisa. Orion. Oh. I don't know who that is. They left this. And she pulls out a jar of dirt, a wooden sword, like a, a, a well, like whittled, carved. Whittle, wooden whittle, sword. whittle, baby. Whittle, a whittle, <laughs> baby. Fit for a child. And a uh, scroll. And she holds the three of them out. What's the scroll say? As you take the scroll in your hands, you see that the an unfurl it. Uh, this scroll is uh, has a faint watermark spanning the length of it. And if examined closely, yeah, you I can hold it up to determine, the light. Yeah, you hold it up to the light. You can see that the watermark shows the symbol of a tree with eight swords hanging upside down from its branches. And just to clarify, Orion had the keys and then 
No, 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 he didn't have the keys. He had the prophecy that we had inscribed from our prophecy walls, and he had a number of uh, holy scrolls of veil, uh, bits of information that he believed, and I also do believe, would help us deduce the location of these keys. It would have helped all of you immensely in your quest, but, well, read the note. And as you read the note, the note reads... I can read. Perfect. So you do. <laughs> it reads, Travelers, I'm sorry that this is how things worked out. If I had it my way, we would have shared these answers. But choice is a luxury. Actually, I'm gonna fucking, what am I doing? I'm just gonna send it to you, dude. You can read it. I'm not the fucking player. I'm a fucking DM. What am I doing? Please keep that in. <laughs> Travelers, I'm sorry that this is how things worked out. If I had it my way, we would have shared these answers. But choice is a luxury not afforded to people like us, nor time. You know by now the importance of the child. Protect her with your lives, as you've done so far. I hope that this blade will aid her against what is coming. Her and all of us. Please also accept this soil from my garden as a token of my apology. It is good earth, special. Maybe after all this is over, you can make a home of your own and things can begin to grow again. We will be watching your progress with great interest. I only pray that we find ourselves on the same side when the war finally comes. Your friend, John. John. <laughs> P.S. There's a P.S. There's a postscript here. Catman. It would be wise to be a little more cautious of your next eight. You might not be so lucky. My next what? Eight. E-I-G-H-T, like, oh, you can't read. It's the number eight. Oh, my next eight. Lives. Oh. <laughs> oh. What's so funny? Oh, John. And I'll, John? I'll, I'll pull out a man from town, farmer, who we helped, oh, who we enlisted his help to fight the boar. I'm going to take off the mask. Mm -hmm. um, excuse me. Corvida, it just so happens that I have a lock of his hair. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yes. Well, that is excellent news. If you use it in the way that you do, we can see where he is. Is this not true? Yes. Yes, we could. Wait, is this Danny's character? Yeah. Yeah. Holy fuck. It is. Wait, John Cumberland. John yeah. Cumberland. John, I forgot who John was. <laughs> John, John Cumberland here. That's fair. I was John. hoping. Was, that's the only lock John. that I have. Oh my Amazing god, this life. is so sick. That's awesome. Oh, never mind, I have a lock of tan butchers here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> shit. Galvin, as you... As, uh, I want to read it again in a Midwestern accent. <laughs> you begin to feel a rumble in your tummy. That's it. Oh. Oh. Just hand if if you want to find out where he is, here you go. Oh, excellent! Thank you. Yes. Uh, wait. I would have wanted back. Wait, didn't you say it was Tam Botcher? No, I have I have both. Oh, you I do have, have both. I have, oh, I thought you were saying you just have Tams. No, okay, I, great. I have Tam. I said I just had Johns, but then I got it, got it, got it. Okay, cool. Got both of them. Oh yes. Well, that would be very helpful. And perhaps you all could track him down and get these answers back. One of the he took the missing. Middle verses of finality. We're the only place that has them. They determine what is to happen during these final days. So. And you've got them committed to memory. Don't I wish? 
Unfortunately, I don't commit those kind of things to memory. Wait, didn't I I take pictures of all of this? (laughs) No. No, no, that's... We keep it locked away for only us harbingers to access. So John got it. That's why he took so long to get out of here that time. He wanted to be here. <laughs> you probably don't know. Yeah, it took was him a, a long that time. That was a meta joke. Sorry. That yeah, was a meta joke. But it was, a, it was fun. It was pretty fun. It was fun. I sensed there was something more to him. He's a tricky one. So we got to find John, make him give us this prophecy, and then we'll know where to find the keys. Is what you're saying. It is the missing middle portion of finality. Do you have... The rest of finality that we can look at? Yes, of course, absolutely. Great. We have the middle and the end verses. The beginning 24 and the end 24. Jack Bauer. Who's that? He's a special agent. Yeah. Okay. Part, he's part Why of is the he anti terrorism right unit. Well, he has 24 hours. <laughs> he does do everything things. in 24 hours. Yeah, it's, it, a whole, yeah. it's like one oh, it hour must be at a, a time. play or something. No, he's a great justice. Oh, okay. I don't know. He just him. takes it one hour at a He's time. He's an all right justice. We've all heard of him. I'm not even from the church. I want to do this too. So. <laughs> oh, don't think I won't put Justice Jack Bauer in the <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you just inserted Justice Jack Bauer. <laughs> With that, Corvidon, the Oracle, will shortly thereafter uh, descend and retire for the evening. Galvin, you, um, right as uh, Corvidon is leaving... She looks to you and she goes, I um, just want to thank you for everything you've done here. Hmm. Indeed. It is my pleasure. I am sure we'll be seeing a lot more of each other working together. I'm sure I can count on you to keep it professional. Of course. I'm sure I can count on you to do the same. <laughs> the difference is I'm being sarcastic. Oh. You know, I've come a long way. <laughs> Since we first met, so... Well, I'll wait until I see that to be true to determine it for myself. Very well. <laughs> and she kind of she kind of smiles at you uh, in a flirtatious smile. She goes, have a good night, Galvin. What are you doing? You're sending me mixed messages here. Hide that smile? No? Okay. It's just a smile. Okay. It's okay. It's just my head. I perceive it in a certain way, and okay. And then you let rip a massive fart, Gallivan. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That's, um, that's a good artifact. Excuse me. <laughs> Corbett just like furrows her brow and scrunches up her face as she looks at you. I'll, I'll press the digitate that it smells like cotton candy in the room. Ah. <laughs> well, um. Yes, good, good night, Gallivan. Yes. <laughs> and she descends, and you are overcome by a bout of uncontrollable flatulence. Nice. Gallivan, welcome to one of your three curses oh, for the mask. Oh, great. Fantastic. <laughs> if the mask is removed at night before the start of a long rest, <laughs> the wearer is poisoned and plagued by uncontrollable flatulence until the mask is worn again or until the next sunrise, whichever comes first. Okay. If removed during the day, the effect lasts for one hour. Uh, I must have put on this mask before I came over. (laughs) (laughs) You must have, you dirty dog. (laughs) You dirty, stinking dog. Uh, Uh, Does anybody else want to do anything before you descend and retire for the evening? I mean, I'll say my goodbyes to... Are we leaving? 
the Oracle and uh, Corvida after. Yeah, I'll say my goodbyes to them and thank yeah. them both. Yeah, for sure. Um, for everything they Big did time. for us. Right on. I'm going to try and pick up some uh, stuff from the armory if I have one. Do they have one? Uh, they do have an armory, um, but the uh, door apparently is locked. I mean, I'll pick the door. Yeah, go ahead. Roll these tools. And if it doesn't work, I'll ask to be let in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like 100. Um, wow. <laughs> no, it's 26. That's very good. Um, yeah, you easily pick open this, this armory door. It swings open, revealing a long, long... Uh, decrepit and not seen much use in many many months let's say that's not years maybe months and months and months of dust acquired and it's clearly been abandoned for a while can i find studded leather armor as you look around it's more like a forge and workshop not an armory they don't really have their armory is like monk masks and these claws that they have these like uh nakod kind of style here's what i'm looking for Studded leather armor. Right. Crossbow, hand crossbow. Okay. Light, excuse you, me, light crossbow, hand crossbow. You don't find any of those in their armory, unfortunately. Okay. Cool. <laughs> what are the rest of you doing? I'm going to head down to that armory as well. It's not an armory. It's a four. Well, okay. I, there is an armory, but the armory has uh, claws and masks in it. There is a forge. Yeah. That's what you're looking for? Yeah. Great. Yeah. There's There is a lot of... There actually is a number of uh, bits of scrap metal of all sorts of, from all, there's like a pile, like somebody was maybe a hoarder of the last person who operated this thing was like a hoarder and there's a pile of scrap metal uh, and bits and pieces and odds and ends. It's, it's your wet dream. <laughs> Dope. I'm going to start to make some sort of Iron Man-esque armor for my chair. Yeah. Yeah. You just take, you have to take it all back or you bring your chair now you just work on it there in the armory yeah, yeah. in the forge uh you start working on it there perfect still not sure exactly what it's gonna look like right, but right, you right. work through the night absolutely whiskey i after i say my thanks to the two the corvida and the oracle i will go to pen's room mm-hmm. and she's still asleep i way. will just you know hold her hand and uh, be there with her while she sleeps fantastic her protector you fall asleep in Penn's bed. Rondry falls asleep in the forge. I'm in like nice. a chair next to her bed. Oh, okay, cool. I like that too, yeah. Two of you head back to your bedrooms, go to sleep. Yeah, you uh, hear farts echoing down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Each step is like, yeah, excellent. As you are sleeping, Whiskers, you wake up in Penn's room to the balcony door ajar. Uh, you know, the long fluttering semi-translucent curtains kind of fluttering. Uh, you are in the chair, just kind of groggily opening your eyes, when you see a absolutely breathtaking, sparkling unicorn wearing a delicate gold and silver crown that floats into your room. Fifteen. And you in- inherently feel in your mind it asking of you to kneel before it and to swear an oath to it. I drop instantly. Excellent. It, you hear in your mind, Swear you will hold the law to be paramount, for it is the mortar that holds the stones of civilization together, and it must be respected. Yes. Swear that your word is your bond, for without loyalty, oaths and laws are meaningless. I swear to you, Rodane. Swear to do what needs to be done for the sake of order, even in the face of overwhelming odds, for if you don't act, then who will? I swear it. Swear to deal with the consequences of your actions, that you are responsible for fulfilling your duties and obligations. Yes. 
The unicorn then lowers its horn, one on either of your shoulders, knighting you. And then you hear in your mind, Go in peace and justice, holy champion. Peace be with you, Rodane. And the unicorn floats backwards and out of the room, and you are filled with a strong desire to bring peace to the land and to protect the innocent no matter the cost. (laughs) Rondra, you eventually fall asleep. Maybe you stay up for a while, uh, like through the night, but morning comes and you kind of pass out. And you are awoken with a start to something clanking around the metal bits. Dope. Uh, You hear a clanking sound and you look and you see a clockwork owl kind of knocking into the metal bits, just kind of fluttering for a bit, landing, fluttering for a bit, landing. Kind of looking around, and then it looks to you as you as you spot it. It spots you, and its eyes like have like these refractory apertures that are like that kind of widen and dilate as they see you. That's awesome. What's up? And its wings start taking off and lifting it into the air, and it hovers in the air before you for about five feet away from you for a moment, and then it flies right at your face and smacks you, conking you in the head. Ow. Knocking you out once more. <laughs> as you were knocked out, uh, or actually as you lay on the ground unconscious before you fall asleep, you are given a vision. You see, finally, the artistic vision of incorporating this chair and this armor, making them one fluid piece. It all is laid out before your eyes. You have this strong intuition that once you have constructed this this absolute opus of of a armored chair for you. You will finally find your true purpose as a seeker and that you will go into battle. And when you go into the battle, you will have a strong sense of inevitable victory and accomplishment if you do, and that none can stand before the might of your new armored chair. Dope. Galavan, you sleep. Mm. And fart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't we all? But actually, before you even go to sleep, Lamund will just float down from the sky and land on your balcony. <laughs> uh, but he appears as a massive white owl, a massive white uh, barn owl at first. He lands there and then he takes the form of a old, old, wizened man, old wrinkles upon wrinkles upon wrinkles. And he looks to you and he goes, ah, well done. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I have something for you. Oh, yes. you don't see. Let's well, have it. I, I, I don't know, but come you, on. You probably know I made a deal with the fates to be the, uh, them as my patron. I have heard the rumblings. Mm-hmm. Well, they used the destinescence for their plans, yes. and I just figured if I took a little bit of it, yes. I could maybe mess with their plans a little bit. So, I wanted to give it to you, because I know you have the best tricks of all. Well, you don't say! (laughs) Well, that's mighty kind of you. I mean, I am already (laughs) quite powerful, but uh, what's a little more, right? (laughs) Well, yes, and if it has any trace of their doings, I I I figured you would know what to do with it. Oh, I know just what to do with this, lad. (laughs) <laughs> and you hand him, uh, you didn't drink the, I thought you drank the vial of. Yeah, I've got the moats. I've got moats. Oh, you're just like kind of gifting them to yeah, him? Yeah. I see. And he goes, t- come here, come here, give me your hands. Okay. And his old, gnarled, shaky hands will kind of curl around yours. And he kind of hobbles over to you. He's he's quite old. He, he can hardly move. Mm. And he curls his hands around yours and you go, all right, 
Let's see. Oh, oh yep. There they are. And a big grin kind of curls over his face, and he, you feel a rush as these no. motes kind of leave your body. And oh, <laughs> that's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, laddie. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, you know, what's gum comes around and goes around and all of that. I'm sure I'll figure out a way to, you know, help you out. No, you have so many times that I have no doubts. <laughs> of course. You might even say I've already paid you back for this. You have. Oh, great. Well, then, um, <laughs> I'll, uh... See you later. I am just came by to say good job and, uh, oh, do keep up the work uh, with um, this whole thwarting veil thing. I've been trying to trick that bitch for years. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's my granddaughter. I love her and all, but she's damn near impossible to trick, to trick, uh, you know, being the future seeing goddess she is. <laughs> you know, she's the only one I've never tricked. Mm. The only immortal being I've yet to get the better of, and for that and his countenance kind of changes and grows a little dark. I hate her. <laughs> wow. I hate her. Well, the if apple everything the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If she cannot be tricked, it only reflects on you as a grandfather, so... I know. Well, it, it does and it doesn't, you see? It does and it doesn't, lad. It does and it doesn't. <laughs> and he kind of looks away. His eyes definitely, he went somewhere else. Mm. And he actually even, you saw a little glimmer of something uh, that was different. Anyway, <laughs> you're right, you're right. It does reflect, reflect quite poorly on me, though, so... We will do our best to get the better of her, won't we? No, it reflects well on you because I she disagree. Is so Agree to disagree, Gallivan. Agree Very to well, disagree. <laughs> Very well. And he uh, takes the form of a snowy barnyard owl again. He looks to you and he goes, "Well, you know, I'm not the only owl to visit your party tonight." Uh, speaking in you know perfect common, <laughs> as per usual, just in an owl form. And he goes, "You'll understand what that means when you talk to Rondry." Oh. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Smell you later, fart face. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> it is smelly. As he flies, takes flight, disappearing out into the darkness. <laughs> and you all fall back to sleep. Crovin, I want to say Crovin so bad, but it's said, said, in the moments of silence before you drift off to sleep, you're not visited by any god or anything like that, but you... Laying there in the moment, just absorbing everything that's happened today, you feel something unlock within yourself. A power pure that comes from deep inside you and your own willpower and conviction. And with it, a strong sense to not only protect Pen from the gods' machinations, but also to show the gods what mortals are capable of. And when you all awake the next day, you will feel something within you you had not felt before. I have emailed you all uh, some things that you are getting. We are going to be tracking those of you with gods, piety. Whenever you do something that would please your god, you'll get a piety point. And whenever you do something that would displease your god, you will lose a piety point. Um, if it has to be like egregiously against them. It can't just be like, you know, oh, it has to be something for whiskers like doing an injustice or something like that basically or Galvin passing up an opportunity to trick someone that is so ripely handed to them or something like that mm -hmm. 
you uh, are different, said. Said, uh, you are an, an iconoclast. And the way this works is every so often, uh, levels-wise, you will gain abilities uh, that are... Your denial of the gods gives you supernatural power to resist their influence of the world, in the world. Whoa. You can't gain or lose piety to any god. You instead gain the following traits at the character level listed. And then you gain the traits at certain levels. Cool. Yeah. The very last thing that happens in our story with you all tonight, anyway, is you all are awoken by horrible screams. Pen's screams. Oh, I'm in the room. Whiskers, she is woken up with a horrible start and is just like, like backing up as far as she can off the bed up against the stone wall, screaming. I mean, I'm sprinting. As yeah. soon as I wake up, I'm heading that way as fast as possible. Excellent. Yeah, you yeah. see her like in the corner and Whiskers like has his hands up like he's trying to help, but he doesn't know what to do. And he turns on, he's like, I don't know what to do. Excellent. Have we made it there? Is that? Uh, you will have made it there. Um, You will have heard it, Galvin. Yeah, I can go uh, as well. Rondri, you just get a feeling in your gut as you roll over, but it doesn't mean anything necessarily. Pen. Actually, in fact, Rondri, you do, uh, right before you wake up, you have a vision of Elijah standing over you, and Elijah just looks to you and goes, Rondri, get up! You're needed! And slaps you in the face, and as he slaps (laughs) you, poof! Ah, what? Ah, you learned a thing or two. (laughs) That's dope. Uh, (laughs) And then I get up, and I get in my chair, and I... (laughs) <laughs> yep. And we won't roll the D20s. Uh, you all eventually get there. Whiskers, you get there. You all see Pen uh, uh, is screaming uh, for a while. Whiskers, you are trying to calm her. And after some time, after about 30 seconds of screaming, she will realize that she is not wherever she was and uh, stop screaming and just kind of sit there with uh, a look of terrible awareness on her face. Uh, she seems drained and tired um, all childishness seems to kind of have left her. She seems a little older somehow, and she has a mark, a dark black mark on her forehead where there was none before. You didn't notice it before because she was turned away from you, but now that she, you, you all are looking at her as if it's always been there, slightly faded, you all see this black with gold trimming, shape of an hourglass, emblazoned into her forehead. Hmm. Are we... Is it... No. Everything's okay, Pen. You're in the spire of violent... No, you're in the spire of whispering winds. You're safe. We're here. Yeah, you all you all will arrive, and, and you are all in the room. And I'm going oh, by Clint now. Oh, yeah, that's Corbin. She just keeps breathing. <laughs> just okay. wanted to get okay. that out before um, you see this all right. visage. Okay, thank you. I still go by Galavan. I'm going okay. to cast light on my staff, my scepter. Are you okay, Pen? No, 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 no. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. You got something, and I'm gonna just <laughs> lick my thumb and wipe away that hourglass. Yeah, it's like uh, it's not going away. It's it's like emblazoned into her skin. Wow. It's like a permanent part of her. It's like a mind. tattoo or a scar. Both. Hmm. I got it. Took uh, care of that. That's nice. And then I, I just look over at the others and do like a. E. <laughs> I'm like Pen. What <laughs> yeah. do you remember? I, I could feel, I could feel Eon. I could feel him in, inside my head. I could feel his all-knowing, ageless consciousness. I could see possibilities. 
and trajectories. Too many to count. I could feel the streams of time, the streams of the future. It looks like a, a stream racing forward in all directions, like a river splitting a million, million times, forming lakes, careening down waterfalls. But there was a fixed point at the end of every one of those streams, like a tiny sewer drain that all the pathways of time were inevitably sucked into as they drew closer and closer to it. I looked at the moment. I wish I hadn't, but once I started, I couldn't look away. I was there. I was old. I was really old. And I stood before a massive heart. Within a hair's breadth of it. And in my mind, in that moment, I know that there's a choice I have to make. But there isn't. I have no doubt in my mind what I'm going to do next. Even though I know it will be the end of everything. You, me, everything. As if I've known for a long time what's going to happen next and, and I've accepted it and, and it's, it's true because I have since right now, in this moment, which is now and then and also always, I don't understand, but when I, I touch the heart, I reach out and I grab it and I accept the power of the timeless heart into myself and for a moment I feel my body flood with ancient primordial colossal power and then there's nothing. Beyond that moment, there are no future paths. Not like I couldn't see time beyond that point because I had died or something, because I saw time streams where I died uh, and, and I, I saw them, I saw the future that lay beyond them and I, they vanished instantly once I saw them. No, it was more like there was just nothing there. I am the Kronos. I end it all. I'm going to change that pen. She just closes her eyes and shakes her head. Put my hand on her shoulder. Down. Together. If you say so, Whiskers. Yes, there may sure. be a way. I know so. Rudane fucking came to me. <sighs> she fucking came to me, guys. Oh. Oh. Rodane can't well, stop that's great. <laughs> I don't know if Rodane can, but I, I hope she can, Whiskers. I hope she can. <sighs> Look, Pen. We've got a plan. And Morrigan herself said that heroes have destinescence or yeah. whatever. There are ways to change yeah. destiny. Okay. And we will do it. Okay. I, um, I mean, I know with everything inside me that what I saw is to come to pass, but I also, at the same time, know that I believe in us. I believe in all of you. I believe in you, Whiskers. I believe in you, Rondri. I believe in you, Gallivan. I believe in you. Clint. Clint. <laughs> she kind of hesitates a bit before she says that. I believe in all of us and where we've come this far. I don't know. I, I, I know two things at once that both can't be true. So I'm inclined to believe us a little bit more. Yeah. There's some pie there. I recommend you try some pie. Oh, God, I'm famished! And she reaches <laughs> over and she grabs the pie because she hasn't... It's been days and days since yeah, she's been... Yeah, she... Oh, God! Oh, God, it's so good! Oh, I love pie! And I love you all! I love you oh. too. Likewise. We group hug here? Absolutely. I think we group hug.
and we fade out. And that is where we'll call it. Ooh. All right. All right. Ooh, yeah. That is the end of book one. Thank you all for listening. All we right. love you all wow. so, so much. What a journey. Yeah, yeah if you've made it this far, kudos to you. Yeah, you know. thank you all for coming with us on this If you've made it this journey. far, kudos to us. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. We Give us kudos. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but more importantly, I'm just no, like saying I'm thanks just, for listening this far. That's yeah, it. thank you for yeah. listening. Thank you so awesome. much. Yes, uh, and if you are listening to this um, you probably have already, but if you haven't already, please help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It helps a new podcast reach more people. We're still new. Uh, if you re- write a review, we will give you a shout-out on the pod. Uh, please tell the two friends. Complete the Tell the Two Friends Challenge. Tell Thank you so much. There it is. And we might name a character in the world after you. Please uh, help us out. Um, help us spread the good word. Now... We have a tip jar that some of you might know about. Uh, it's a little something called ko-fi.com slash mqbd, ko-fi.com slash mqbd. That is our little tip jar of sorts. You can find it in the description for this episode or on any of our social media pages. If you feel so moved uh, with the generous spirit, please throw uh, a little cash our way. Any amount. You can throw uh, anything from $1 to $5 to $10. Seriously, $300. any little bit counts. $300. Anything you we have earned thank you we also have a few uh, special shout outs at the end of today's episode as well as a few special things to plug so if you want to tip us but you want to get something out of it guys we have merch now there will be a link in this episode description to our merch buy your own magic quest boys of dragon town t-shirt looks like this can you see it yeah. Yeah, can wow, you all see it? Looks sharp. Oh, yeah. oh it's my so God. cool. Logo on Don't you guys think charcoal it's gray looks Actually, charcoal so gray does sweet. look amazing. Yeah. Canary yellow looks great. And uh, there's a royal blue that looks especially mm. great. So uh, please help us out. Um, buy some merch. And it's a great friggin' logo. So why not wear it uh, and support us and wear our awesome art? We all also have a Discord. Uh, if you all want to join our Discord, magicquestboys.com. Boom, you're there. Join our Discord. We want to talk to you. We want to talk to you all about what you think about this episode, book one, all of that. And that is the end of book one. Thank you all for listening to our journey. One of the last things we have to do before shoutouts is potential plans for the future of MQBD. We have some exciting prospects on the horizon. We don't have the fates telling us what to do. We don't know exactly what we're going to do. Exactly. We're still figuring it out. We're thinking about venturing into uncharted territory in the same way the party has with the fates. And by this, of course, I mean we're thinking of possibly changing mediums from a podcast to a live stream for a number of reasons. Uh, It's going to save us time on editing. Uh, It's going to allow us to put out more content for you. And um, it seems like it's one of the ways that a lot of fans of D&D likes to consume their their D&D real place. So, uh, yeah, there's a number of reasons why we think it would be a great idea. Uh, And if we did this, fear not the podcast medium of MQBD would still live on. It would just be the audio from the stream, much in the way some of the other D&D streams out there do. Um, but we haven't decided if we're exactly yeah, going to... We're not we're all 100% on board yet. with this idea, yeah. so let us know what you think, because... It'll sway our opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, let us know. Do you think we should be a podcast? Do you think we should be a D&D stream uh, that is, I guess, also a little bit of a podcast uh, on the side, though? Um, please hop on our Discord. Let us know what you think. We don't want to make any changes unless all of you, our awesome fans, are excited for it too. Thank you all so much. We got shoutouts and then we're outie. Woo! Shoutouts. 
This has been a wild ride. It's been a long time between this episode and the last time we recorded. So we have a number of shout outs. We want to thank Queer Pressure on Insta who completed another Tell a Two Friends Dang. Challenge. That's two Tell a Two Friends Challenges. Tell a two, two friends. Yeah. That's four friends. That's a fucking two times two fucking friends challenge. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Queer Pressure. You're amazing. Uh, some call me dot, 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 Matt. Matt, you gave us a review on iTunes and it was incredibly awesome and we loved it. Thank you so much for that review. It helps so much. Uh, as we've uh, let you know. We've also got iTunes review from Rosie Royce. Rosie Royce, thank you for your iTunes review. We love you. Rosie Royce. Rosie, Rosie Royce. Royce. Theodoric. Ooh, Ooh that's going to be a fun name to that's work in. Theodoric. Yeah. I mean, Rosie Royce will be too, actually. Yeah, Rosie Royce. Um, both of those. Uh, and some Call Me Matt, sure. Thank you for the iTunes reviews. They're awesome. As well as Lothar Dalboran. Whoa. Um, Whoa. I know Dang. Lothar Dalboran. Lothar Dalboran. Uh, I DM for Lothar Dalboran every once in a while. Nice. Um, so Lothar Dalboran is the name of Lucky his character. Duck. It's going to be fun putting Lothar in the game. I wonder if I'll even have him be a little like Lothar Dalboran, the character. Ooh, I bet you will. That would be I cool. I bet I will. Uh, we also just want to thank some people who have donated to our Ko-Fi. Uh, you will be worked into this campaign as a result. So thank you so much, Tamara De La Clark, Aaron Wilkins, oh Aaron, Aaron Wilkins, excuse Aaron Wilkins. me, Sam Kopsiak, oh, Jordan Bell again. Oh Thanks, gosh. dude. And we want to thank our sponsors. Uh, hopefully, long term sponsor. Plural? No, I mean our our sponsor. Sorry, our oh, sponsor. sponsor. I guess. Oh yeah, our... I guess you could say sponsor. Flagship founding guess, sponsor. Yeah. Yes, I guess I'd put it plural because we've been talking to the two founders of this company. Yes, but we yes. want to thank our amazing, hopefully long-term sponsor, Bespoken Coffee. Yum, yum. With us from the start. They were start. some of the first listeners to the podcast from Absolutely. what I understand. Always have been very supportive of amazing. us. Amazing. We yeah. want to thank you all so much for your support. Thank you so much for your generous contribution. Uh, we simply could not go on without you. So thank you so much. And finally, as it is the last episode, we just want to thank all of you, our listeners. If we haven't mm. done it enough already, yes. our dedicated fans, thank you all the time. Some of you comment all the time. Yeah. Some of you do fan art. Uh, you've sent us a, lo a lot of fan art. It's awesome. Uh, some of you are very active on the Discord. Some do music. I mean, it's oh my God, all yeah. so beautiful and heartwarming. Yeah, it is. And it's the reason we do the podcast. Yeah. Truly. So we want to thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for joining us for this first arc. And hopefully, many more to come. Thank you all very much. We want to thank you. Uh, thank you to my fiance Sarah Paul for editing Woo! this episode. Thank you, Eric DeLong, for writing the yeah. music. Uh, Wait, we, fiance? We, I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, what a drop. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, sorry. I guess I pulled the David. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm also having a kid, but you guys know that. That's true. Yeah, David's having a kid. Uh, I'm engaged. Um, Whoa. One of our editors, uh, Sarah Paul. Oh, my Woo. God. Yes. Wow. Oh um, changes. But more importantly, thank you to Eric DeLong for writing up. the music. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thank you guys. Um, yeah, I thought uh, I thought it'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, thank you to our special guests for book one, Danny Cullen and Marquia McCarty. Yes. We yes. hope to have you back as a Leslie and John Cumberland, mm. as well as many more special guests for our book two. Ooh. Thank you all for listening so much. Tune in next book to find out what happens next. Dang. Dang. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. The Magic Quest. 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 Mag
Town. We see the powder room of a luxurious manor, three separate vanities on three separate walls, and in the middle of the room is an island of cushioned couch with not an inch of couch showing beneath under all the dresses, jewelry, and other bits of bustle and bodices. We see two half-elf ladies, looking in their twenties, one adorned like an elegant turquoise cloud of cotton candy. She stands, primping herself in a full-length golden mirror, while the other, more subdued in an elegant cream-and-baby-blue strapless gown, lay half-sprawled across a chaise lounge, reading, disinterested. A beautiful human woman in her late fifties, in a resoundingly ornate silver dress, powders her face with her eyes glued to a letter spread out on the table before her. The cotton candy one chastens her mother for reading the letter yet again. Mother uh, apologizes, but says... She can't, not until she figures out how to respond. The bookish one says, Don't worry, if Galvin doesn't like the news, he'll probably, he just won't return. You know how he is. The mother, oh, come on now, chastens her. But out of the corner of her eye, she looks a little worried that her youngest might be right. Bells toll far off in the sprawling capital city of Crown's Rise, and the mother, hearing them, turns to the daughters and says she'll go tell the carriage driver to go bring the horses about until she reaches the front foyer. She looks around for servants as she stands in the large, spacious foyer. Doesn't see any, reaches out, rings a bell, then hears the snort of a horse coming from the front door. She goes to the front door and opens it to find an elf, a pure elf, from long, pure bloodlines, wearing brilliant green-silver armor, eyes barely visible through the helm, atop a 12-foot-tall gray stag with massive antlers. The human woman is awestruck. The elf looks down at her and asks, Kalira Aurelis? She replies, Yes. The Aureluses are to be held in audience with the council at Erendin. And then off her look, he adds, in the forest. And then the daughters arrive at the door, kind of piling up behind the mother to ask her something, but they stop in their tracks as they fall in behind their mother, their jaws falling. Valorel and Tressery? The elfin tones. They just stare. You will come with me now. One sister's face kind of falls with disappointment. The other one's lights up, and they immediately rush off to pack or get changed. The mother begins to protest, but the elf from atop its massive stag just stares down at her with hard, indifferent, emotionless eyes, and she falters. Where is the sun? Gallivan. Uh, um, uh, gone. Traveling. The elf nods, and the mother begins to protest again, saying she's not able to leave the city at the moment. She serves the queen in, in matters of finance, and, and then is cut off by the elf. You, human Kalira, are not requested. Kalira's eyes burn as she seethes quietly, and her daughters pack for a very long journey. We see a man sitting at a large booth in a loud, packed tavern by himself. 
a great gorilla of a man, hunched over a full glass of dark red wine, yet his frame seems to betray his intelligence as he furtively surveys the frivolity with sharp eyes. His eyes lock on to something. He watches for a moment. There, the one with the loot. That's the one. He murmurs to no one in particular. Make sure he pays, one way or another. No one sees the invisible figure as it stands up from the booth and weaves its way effortlessly through the dancing and drunks like a phantom toward its next job. A server approaches the table. Your wine, sir? Placing another full crimson glass down on the table, the server turns around and stretches for a moment, searching for any wandering eyes and blocking the view of the booth. And we see... Down the side of the glass the server has put on the table, barely noticeable but clearly visible, the words, She's here, formed in streaks of red, which linger for a moment as the large man stares down at the message. He lifts the other cup of wine to his lips and calmly drains it all in one long swill. The words drip away. He places the empty glass on the table and picks up the fresh cup as the server turns, removing the old one in one fluid motion and then disappears back into the din. The large man heaves himself up and heads towards the back hallway of the tavern. He passes through the kitchen, waving to the cook, with the hand of his not holding the wine, and finds the back storeroom, where he passes through a solid bare stone wall, a second after muttering a word of passage under his breath. He emerges into a dark, candlelit study, exquisitely decorated in fineries, art on the walls, a table with a long vellum map of Voros stretched across it, with a number of pieces placed at various cities and townships. A half-elf woman, late twenties, early thirties, pink hair slicked back and shaved on the sides, sits before a desk in his office. He approaches a large chair before a lit hearth. Bring any news for me, Master Daklin? He smiles. Maybe, girl, if you've earned it. Any news of our rogue ferryman? Well, you know, I haven't gotten to talk with him personally in a while, so I haven't really had the chance to ask him, but... With his new friends, I'm sure he's having the time of his life. And where is he now? Goat skate abouts. And apparently got in some strange bit of business on you are never gonna believe with who. He just stares at her. The friggin' reason for the season himself, Coctowell! I couldn't believe it myself when I heard it. And she carries on, but the f- him standing... The force of him standing sends the large chair scraping backwards, and he is on her in an instant, the front of her jerkin lifted up into the air. Don't you protect your little friend by filling my ears with bullshit, girl. There's no chance. There's no way he's wrapped up with Coutuel. I swear, I swear, it's true, it's true, come on! A load of people saw it at the Harvest Festival. We have some dretches up there now with reports still coming in, but apparently our boy Seth has made quite the acquaintance of the Harvest Lord. It sounds like they got off on a bit of the wrong foot. So, on the bright side, we may not have to worry about him for much longer. He stares at her hard, trying to see through her. And at last he releases her and fumes over to his chair by the fire which he sinks into once more before gently placing two fingers to his brow. Lady Light's tits, what a fool. I'm sure he had a perfectly good reason to come to the attention of and piss off his divine vegetableiness. <laughs> How long has it been since he received the letter? Long enough. I want him back, Boven. She sighs and after a moment stands. See, now I knew you were going to say that. 
Not to question your order, sir, but are we sure we can't just let him go? He's as good as dead. Bring him to me, Boven, alive. I don't care what you have to do to get him. Use as many shades as you need. Tail inquisitors if need be. Start with the ouster, the burner, the cook, the thorn. I don't care. Just get him. Why such haste and fury, master? He is needed. He has been requested. Requested? By who? The large man sits for a long moment, looking off into the fireplace, before finally reaching into his coat pocket and holding up a large jet-black coin stamped with a jagged crown that glints in the light. The woman's eyes go wide. Lady Light's fat-ass. I'll... I'll leave at once then, Master Darklin. He nods. And she gets up, pulling her cloak around her and heads for the exit as he stands once more. Boven. She hesitates. The child, too. Alive. And he flips the coin over to her. Boven catches it without looking over her shoulder, and with a flash, it's immediately squirreled away. She closes her eyes, stealing herself, cursing her job, and leaves. We see a well-appointed white marble office, with a window open, letting in a blinding rectangle of sunlight through which can be seen clusters on clusters of white, tan, red, and orange rooftops. A stout gnome woman, woman, looking to be in her early sixties, in a swirl of white and black robes, sits at her desk, reading a scroll with a deep crease in her forehead. And suddenly there is a knock at her door. Yes, come in. A bony, bald man with sunken eyes and black robes, bearing white roses, brings... High Justice Oprah Turin, a number of scrolls at her desk. She looks over them with a not terribly pleased look on her face. He says to her, The Queen demands more peacemakers. She demands they be trained immediately. Strange tidings are upon us, High Justice. The first have just finished, and their effectiveness is yet to be judged. But she sighs and nods regardless. She sees her eyes lingering on a note. Well, you know, High Justice, there are the traveling justices that are about. Such as, um, well, you know, the one. Uh, isn't there a temporary justice? Uh, tabaxi you sent out? She kind of, uh, High Justice turn with a wave of her hand kind of disregards and cuts off uh, the uh, bald man. No, 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 no. Look, look, look. It, he is ineligible, trust me. He is not fit to be a peacemaker. He just doesn't have... <laughs> he just doesn't listen well. He wouldn't be uh, up to the queen's standards, trust me. Uh, the bald man kind of stares at her for a bit. He goes... As you say, High Justice, and then turns around and takes his leave of her office. High Justice Turn puts down the scroll she's looking at and picks up the letter from Justice Donatella Whiskers, lets out a slight restrained sigh as she stares into the flames of her hearth. We push in a little closer on her face as she says, Oh, you 
Sweet, stupid child. Just stay out of the way. Disappear. Die. Drown. Just don't come back. There's another knock on her office door as the bald man returns. I've just received word, High Justice. The White Knight is set to arrive any moment. You are to meet his radiance outside. Ah, he's always early. I'll be down presently. The bald one turns to leave, but before he does, he intones, Yes, High Justice. He hisses, smiling, and we catch a glimpse of his tongue, hidden from view of the High Justice. His tongue... Slender and forked. I just as turn stands, looks in a mirror for a moment, adjusting her headpiece. All right, Balza, you old stubborn son of a bitch. Don't make this any harder for me than it already is. Just play your role and maybe we can keep this damn kingdom from destroying itself. Oh, guide me, my queen. She grabs a dagger from off her mantle and tucks it into her robes, looking back up into the mirror. Peace, no matter the cost. As she leaves the room, we see the silent office for a few moments. We see the game board of Rise sitting on the table. And we see the queen piece on this game board tip over of its own accord. We see a cluster of interconnected hallways deep in a remote mountain, each connected to so many rooms storing workshops, parts, and forges. We see a small clockwork device, two gnomes leaping over each other, motor buzzing as they slowly leapfrog a path down one such intersection of these hallways. Crunch! A foot comes down and smashes it from above. We rise up to see a woman in a thick brown Leather armor, set, and cloak. Hay-colored hair neatly falling around a sneering face. I've had enough of these games. Did you useless oafs find any sign of Q? Anything that could possibly have been interpreted as a clue or a message left for the gnome boy? The own, milady. Gods be damned. Give the cloister another search in its entirety. It just has to be here somewhere. The boy yet lives alongside his bumbling lunk of a justice. They cannot be allowed to find Q before we do. Or need I remind you what the gnomes have in store for us if we fail? The lackey pales. Uh, no, no lead, my lady. Good. After your men let that elf girl slip through your fingers, you can't afford any more mistakes. Bag up anything else that seems useful. We're to head back before... M -m Mr. Mark! A voice calls down the hall. What is it? I think you're going to want to see this. We see the woman stride toward the voice and look into the room. She stops in the doorways, taking in the sight. Her eyes light up. D do you think it could be something? Even if it's not, they're going to have a field day with this. We travel through Lightsloft Manor as we see the Lady Blackberry in her office, fervently writing letters rallying her supporters. We travel to the next room as we see the young Lord Graydon Blackberry sharpening his sword and packing his bag for travel. We travel to the next room and see the young, fragile Lady Esmeralda Blackberry 
mournfully staring out from her balcony into the impenetrably dark sea beyond. And we travel to the next room where we see Elesne, the adopted Blackberry child, also packing her bag for travel, a look of deep worry etched into her fine features. And then we travel to the last room, far down below in the water dungeons, where we see the once dapper, now drenched and haggard form of Amerigo Meow Meow as he tries to sleep in a cell half-submerged in foul water. We see a farmer and his pregnant wife sitting in their very modest home. Suddenly the farmer hears a noise from outside, grabbing his sickle. He goes to investigate. He starts to march through the cold night air out into the cornfield. He hears it again, a crunch. He heads out into the cornfield, sees nothing. Hearing his wife calling for him back at home, he, curiosity is piqued. He has to investigate the noise. He goes deeper into the cornfield, looks around, hears his wife call for him one last time. He starts to head back. But as he takes his first step, he hears something move nearby. Suddenly, he hears a moaning from behind him as a rotting corpse begins to pull itself from the ground, ripping the corn and the tall stalks of corn out of the ground. It pulls itself up from the ground. The farmer begins to run in shock before he runs through the cornfield. He runs towards the home, but suddenly there is another undead abomination in front of him. He turns, and suddenly he is surrounded. He is dodging and weaving through this cornfield. For his dear life, the groaning begins to come up from all sides. As he runs madly, sweat pouring, he breathing heavily, he runs through this cornfield as fast as he can, trying to trying to get back home, into the safety of his home, to make sure he can get his wife, his pregnant wife, to safety. He runs and runs and runs, and just narrowly avoiding all of these undead creatures as they pop up right in front of him, always right in front of him. Suddenly, he manages to pop out pretty close to his home too, running over to his home. The door is luckily shut. He opens the door and bursts in, slamming the door behind him. Breathing heavily, he turns around, sees his wife, no longer with full belly, but sweating with tears in her eyes. As he takes a few steps towards her, she turns towards him, screaming with her eyes, opening her mouth in a silent scream her eyes locked on something behind him, above him, when a dark figure drops down on the farmer as he and his wife both let out horrible, guttural screams. We see the oracle sneaking through the rubble of the spire of violent destinies. Sweating, he arrives at the former altar to the fates, burned, ruined, destroyed. He stands before the horrid portal and lights three black candles. He removes a bag from his pouch and puts three objects onto the flames of those candles. And as this frame begins to open, portal to the realm of the fates. The oracle takes one last look behind him, steals himself, 
says, It must be done. They must know. And then steps up and into the portal. Do you like bad movies? Well, tarry no further, my friends. Starring Emma Roberts is a new podcast where seven friends write seven different parts of a script to write one movie. The twist is that the writer can only see the section before theirs. This makes for an unforgettable movie experience. Our three-part Christmas special is out December 14th, wherever you listen to podcasts, with more scripts to come in the next couple months. Follow us at Starring Emma Roberts on Instagram and Starring Emma Rob on Twitter for updates and more side splitters.